here's what we talked about. We talked about there's a dilemma kind of in our country and in our culture right now, right? There's kind of three things going on. The first thing is this. The first thing is that everything is politicized. Everything is politicized. There is no neutral topic. A line has been drawn in the sand, and you have to choose a side. Who are you with? Are you Republican or Democrat? You know, kids virtual, kids in person, mask, no mask. Where are you at on everything, all right? All the way down the line. Where are you at? And you need to pick a side. And here's the thing. Once you pick a side, you want your side to win. You are told we need our side to win. You are encouraged. Our side, we have to win. We are in it to win it. And here's the thing. If somebody disagrees with that side, if somebody has a counter argument, if somebody just doesn't think how you think or chosen the side you've chosen, we have a, a, a culture of canceling each other out in this, in this culture that we're in. We, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you mess up, if you say something wrong, whatever it may be, we cancel you out. We go, you know what? That's it. I'm done with you. I discredit everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said. It's all garbage, and I just cancel you out of my life. You know, what's crazy to me, sometimes we even, we cancel people out. We don't, we cancel people out that are close to us and, and, and for someone we don't even know, you know? Like if somebody was like, you know, I, I hate Coke, and you're like, oh, well, I like Pepsi. Well, I'm canceling you out. Like you haven't even met Pepsi, all right? But you will cancel out your best friend that you know, that you love, who has like been in in-person contact with you for someone or for something that you've never even met. You're defending a logo, a brand, a person on a television over people that you have encountered every single day in some, in some situations. But the third thing is this. There is even a version of Christianity that is in it to win it. For a very long time now, there has been a version of Christianity that has felt attacked. A version of Christianity that feels like it needs to defend itself. That, a version of Christianity that says, you know what, we, we've got to win. We've got to win this election. We've got to win this seat. We've got to win this debate. We've got to win this law. We have to. It's so important that we win. But in the process of attempting to win, the problem is, is that we've lost people. We've turned people off to church. We've turned people off to a relationship with God. In many ways, we've given Christianity a very, very bad name. Many of you, you found this church. You know, our vision is to be a church for people who don't like church. And that was directly marketed towards you because some of you don't like church. Why? Because of the Christians you encountered, the people you encountered. The people who were in it to win it, even if that meant losing you. And so we, we live in that culture. But the question a lot of Christians ask themselves is if Jesus were here today, what side would Jesus be on? If Jesus were here on this earth today, who would he be with? What side would he be on? And the thing we talked about last week is that if Jesus were here, Jesus wouldn't take a side. Jesus wouldn't take a side. And we know this because he didn't when he was here on this earth. When Jesus came on the scene about the age of 30, after he was baptized by John the Baptist and he began his ministry, everybody wanted Jesus on their side. The Jews wanted Jesus on their side. The, the, the Samaritans wanted Jesus on their side. The, the Pharisees wanted Jesus on their side. Everybody wanted Jesus to be for them. But Jesus never took an official side. He was for everybody. And he would lose battles. He would lose debates. He, he would lose his way in order to gain people, in order to win people over. And Philippians, Paul talks a little bit about this. He has this awesome opportunity of being on the other side of the resurrection. 
He, he broke it down like this. He said, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And he goes on. And he says, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus took the position of a loser, of nobody. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used as his advantage. No, he put himself in the house of a carpenter. He put himself in the lower class. He put himself in human body, flesh and blood, of a body that would ache, that would get sick, that would, that would age. He put himself in a situation where he would be hungry and he would be in need. He put himself in a situation where he would one day be arrested unjustly, put on trial unfairly, and be crucified for our sins. And he would become obedient even to death when he did not have to. Instead, he chose to. He put himself in that position. And do you know why he did that? He did that to show us just how much he loved us. See, he played a whole different game. He wasn't trying to win a kingdom. He wasn't trying to win a throne. He wasn't trying to win authority. He wasn't trying to win power. Instead, what he was trying to win were people. And in, in losing is how he won people. Losing is how we win people. And Paul, later on, he would say, that we are now the body of Christ, that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so here's the thing. As we look through these gospel stories, these firsthand accounts of seeing how Jesus operated, how Jesus won people over, how Jesus chose to lose on this earth, Paul says, you've got to understand, we are now the body of Christ. So if Jesus was a loser, we must also be a loser as well. Because losing is how we win people today. But here was the question on everybody's mind after last week's sermon. Because it was very, very clear, clear. Jesus chose to lose. But the question that everybody had in small group is how far do we take this? How far do we take this? We talked about last week how Jesus looked at his disciples and goes, boys, when you follow me, you better pick up your cross. Don't pick up your sword. Don't pick up your fist. Don't, don't, don't pick up your sign. Pick up your cross. Meaning, get ready to die. Because that is where this is heading. This is where this is going. We are losers. And so the question many of you guys talked about at small group is, what does it mean to pick up your cross and follow Jesus? How far exactly do we take this? And the good news is, is that Jesus answers that question. Exactly how far do we take this? What does it look like practically to be a loser here on this earth, to represent the kingdom well, and to win people over? And Jesus actually answered it in his very most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He gathered all these people together, and he had them on a mountainside, and he gave this, this sermon that is so well known, so well quoted. And it really what it set up was what the kingdom of God looks like and what it means to be a child of God. But not only did he set up what the kingdom of God looks like and give us a sneak peek into what heaven was going to be like, but he also, in the process, demolished the Old Covenant Testament. He took the Old Testament law and everything that they had learned up to that point, and he replaced it. He said to him at one point, he goes, I know you've heard it this way, but I'm going to tell you it's this way. And he says at the very beginning, he goes, I have come to fulfill the law, meaning I've come to close the book 
This has served its purpose. It was all to lead up to me, and now I am here. And he actually contradicted Old Testament law. He took everything that they had known and believed and practiced, and he put a period on it, and he said, I'm giving you a new law now. Because what was old has now been replaced by something new. And so he starts to get into this message. And he says this classic line. He begins to break all these things down. And he starts to say, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And he lists all of these different people, all these different seats that are blessed seats. That if you're in the situation, we've talked about this before, that word blessed in the Greek means happy or fortunate. He goes, oh, happy, oh, fortunate, oh, lucky are the people who get to sit in this seat on the bus. And then he starts to tell us what those seats look like. And here's what they are. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourners, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the peacemakers, the persecuted, and the pure in heart. Now, let me ask you a question for a minute. Do any of these things look like winners? No. These are losers, right? I mean, think about this for a minute. The poor in spirit, they've lost They are poor in spirit. Uh, Blessed are the mourners. The mourners have experienced loss in their life. They are mourning. Blessed are the meek. You know how much I love this word. Meek, what does it mean? Gentleness of strength, right? Nobody wants to be meek. Meek is a loser. A meek person is going to lose a debate, lose an argument, lose a fight. Gentleness is their strength. Blessed are the hungry. I mean, come on, that's obviously loss. They've lost something. They're lacking something. They've given up something. Blessed are the merciful and the peacemakers. Well, these people are going to lose a fight for sure. And blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the pure in heart. These are never any situations where you'd go, oh, that guy's blessed. If any of you went through this, you'd say, "I'm I'm not a winner. I'm a loser. And Jesus would go, well, good for you. Because that's the kind of seat that you want to sit in. Blessed are, happy, fortunate. Lucky are the people who get to sit on this seat in the bus. Because those losers are actually about to be winners. Because of the opportunity that they have in front of them. They have this awesome opportunity. And he even says next in Matthew, he, Matthew recorded this. He says this. He says, if you get to go through this, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Are you kidding me? Rejoice and be glad. I don't want to be a loser. I want to be a winner. I don't want to sit on this seat on the bus. I don't ever want to go through that season of life. And he goes, no, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And he starts to break this down. And he starts to talk to him and explain exactly what this means. And imagine for a moment the confusion, right? I mean, Jesus has just began his ministry. And for so long, ever since in the Old Testament, when it you know, started to you know, be told about this Messiah, this Savior coming, they thought they were getting a fighter. They thought they were getting a warrior. All the prophecies talked about what he would do, and they thought they were going to get a David. They were going to get a Joshua. They were going to get their kingdom back. They were going to get their temples back. They were going to get their old way of life back. The new normal could go away and we could go back to the things the way things were. And all of a sudden they get hippie Jesus who starts talking about, man, happy are you and blessed are you, man. You know, good for you if you are hungry and good for you and blessed are you. And they're going, what are you talking about? 
This is not the Savior. This is not the Messiah. This is nothing like Joshua. This is nothing like David. What in the world is this? And so he starts to break it down. He starts to make it super, super practical about what it looks like to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, what it looks like to be a loser and a child of God. And what was amazing in this time is he starts to drop this bomb about the old covenant and says, I have come to fulfill it. I've come to close this book. It's done. It served its purpose. And I'm here to give you something brand new. Imagine how disrespectful that must have felt. Imagine how hard that must have been to swallow, hearing that your whole life you were told this is what God wants from you, and suddenly you were told, actually, it's something completely different. That's exactly what they experienced. And this is where Jesus started to really rub people wrong. But he says this to him. He goes, let me break this down for you. And Jesus says to him, you have heard that it was said. Again, he's referring to the Old Covenant. He's referring to the Old Testament. You guys remember this. You were taught this in Sunday school. You were told this growing up. You you were told this is the way it is. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So you got to understand, if you look at the Old Testament, and you look at the laws, the Jewish laws, the 613 Jewish laws that God gave Moses, that Moses brought down and says, here's what God wants them. One of those laws said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Meaning, guess what? If you take my eye, I'm taking yours. And if in the process I miss and I take both of yours, then I got to lose both of mine. I mean, here we go. It, it was eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And let me tell you, this wasn't an option this is a must. This was. This has to be fulfilled. It's not like, nah, you know what? I'm going to let Wes, you know, it's cool. It's not a big deal. You know what I mean? I'll let him go. No, you must fulfill it. It, it, was, it, was, it was guaranteed and it had to be done. And the thing is, is not only was this customary in the Jewish culture, they would also have been adopted from the Romans and the Greeks. So everybody did this. It didn't matter. That audience that was sitting there that day, whether they were Jew or Greek or a Roman citizen, they followed this. They lived by this. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus, he just throws a wrench in it. And he says this, he goes, well, you've heard it said that way, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Again, he was completely contradicting everything they had been taught, everything they had been told. He said, I know you've heard it this way, but I'm giving you something brand new. And here's what I want you to know. Do not resist an evil person. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, I don't want you to answer evil with evil. Now think about that for a minute. He was completely rewriting his own judicial system. God gave them these laws. God says, this is how we're going to make things right. And Jesus steps in and goes, I am replacing my own judicial system with something else. From here on out, if somebody takes your eye, you go, okay. (laughs) Somebody takes your tooth, you go, bless you later. He says, don't answer evil with evil. That's not the way it works in my kingdom. You know, it's incredible to me today, in the middle of kind of the culture what we're in, what forms of justice we justify. How many people have died after the death of George Floyd? What happened to George Floyd was terrible. We all are in agreement with that. I haven't met a single person that said George Floyd should not have died. But... How many deaths have we justified? How many cops have been killed after the death of George Floyd? It's almost acceptable. It's almost okay. If something happens that we don't like, 
if, if the court system fails us, if, if there's a call that's made, we just, we burn it down. We'll burn down somebody's business. We'll go beat somebody up in the street. We'll go, we'll go and we'll throw a riot, you know? And it's just like, we're like, oh, well, that's, you know, I mean, they're, they're just angry. Let them vent. Let them have it out. That's justice? Uh, Republicans and Democrats, right? Oh, just at each other. Well, this person did this. Nancy Pelosi said this. Trump tweeted this. And just back and forth. Fox News, CNN. And it's, just, it's justified. It's, it's become such a norm that we've accepted it. That it's become okay in our culture. And Jesus goes, that might be okay in the culture. That may be an acceptable way to behave on Twitter. But not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we don't respond evil with evil. Insult for insult, eye for an eye. That's not the way it works in my kingdom, and that's, that's not what I want you to do. And then he really starts to break it down. And again, you do not want to hear this sermon, all right? I'm going to let you know right now. This is going to get really, really bad really, really quick. This is what he says next to him. He says, I, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And I'll tell you something. He ain't talking about butt cheeks, all right? He's talking about something completely else. He is not talking about that. He is talking about if somebody slaps you in the cheek, go, hey, you want to hit this one too? I read a great commentary this week, and this is, this is what he said. He, he said, when somebody, when somebody hurts you, be ready to suffer patiently a repetition of the same injury. That's what he says, what Jesus was saying in that time. If somebody hurts you emotionally, physically even, financially, relationally, get ready to suffer patiently a repetition of the same injury. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you're supposed to be a, 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 a doormat? Not at all. He, here's, here's what I think Jesus was, was talking about. Because remember, he was preparing people to, to be the body of Christ. This was like a ministry speech, okay? He was getting them ready for their vocation to step into the seat that Jesus was in. Remember, he told the disciples, you will do all the things that I've been doing. You're going to take the driver's seat and you guys are going to do this thing and you're going to be the body of Christ. This was a speech intended to prepare them for ministry. And somebody nailed it on the head in my small group this week. I said, why don't all churches operate as a group of losers? And they said, you know why? Because ministry is messy. Ministry is messy. Because people are messy. And you know what? When you're ministering, you are usually probably ministering to hurt people. And guess what hurt people do? Hurt people hurt people, right? And so Jesus was really saying to them is, hey, I want to prepare you for this because I know what's coming, but you don't even realize. You're going to step into my shoes. You're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And your vocation into ministry begins. This is how it works in the kingdom of God. This ain't the pastor's job. This is the church's job. And you guys are going to become the hands and feet of Jesus and start your career in ministry. And here's what I need to let you know. It ain't all sunshine and rainbows in ministry. Amen, Pastor Kerry. Amen. Praise Jesus. All right? Because you know why? It gets messy. Because people are messy. Ministry is messy. And what Jesus was saying is, look, when you get into this, you're going to come into contact with hurt people. And hurt people hurt people. And as you minister to people, guess what? They're going to betray you. 
They're going to turn their back on you. They're going to call you names. They're going to hate you. They're going to not listen to you. And guess what? When they do that, are you just going to drop them off the face of the earth? Are you going to cancel them out like everybody else in their life has done? No, you are not. You're going to show mercy and grace and be a peacemaker because blessed are the people who do that. And you're going to keep fighting for that person. You're going to continue on in ministry and you're going to continue pursuing that person. You're going to keep going after that lost sheep no matter how many times they run away. Get ready because when you start ministry, you're going to get slapped in the face. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to cancel those people out of your life. I want you to turn to the other cheek and wait patiently because guess what? It's not going to go well again. They're going to hurt you again. They're going to disappoint you again. They're not going to get it right the first time, the second time, the fifth time, the eighth time. This is a journey and this is a process. And so I want to prepare you for that. And I want you to get ready. Do you know how many times I've said sorry when I had nothing to say sorry for? Do you know how many times I have let someone yell at me when I did nothing wrong? Do, do you know how many times I've remained quiet when I had plenty to say? Every day, because I live with Kate Davis. Anyway, uh, wow. I can say that because she's, she's teaching in the, the pre-K pre class, but her dad is so going to tell on me. Anyway, uh, no, I, I've done that, though, as a pastor. I've been yelled at in my office. I've read some nasty emails full of colorful language, and I've just taken it. And let me tell you something. If you are going to become a Christian, all you people who got baptized yesterday, your vocation in the ministry begins now. God wants to use you. God wants to use your story. He wants to use the book that you've written so far and use it to minister to someone else. You have the opportunity to minister to people and touch people I've never been able to minister and touch before. And here's the thing, that is going to be your vocation. That is, that is your awesome opportunity that you have. But if you do it, Prepare to get hurt. Prepare to get slapped in the face. And when that happens, and when you come to me and you go, man, pastor, they just don't listen, and they did this, and they said that, and they just, I'm going to go, I know, welcome to ministry. Get ready to turn the other cheek. Because it's that, or you have to give up on them. And you can't ever give up on people. Then Jesus goes on, and he says this. He says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, a lot of times we read this and, you know, sometimes the way things are translated in our English language, they can kind of run into each other and we don't understand what this verse means. That word sue is not talking about uh, the court of law, okay? So please, if someone sues you, defend yourself, get a lawyer, <laughs> all right? I don't want anyone to come up to me and go, man, pastor, they sued me for everything they had and I'm a loser and I'm going to let them take it. I'm going to go, no, you idiot, get a, get a lawyer. What are you doing? All right? That's, that word sue is not like in the court of law. What the Greek word actually means is it actually means to ask you for or to, to demand from you is really what it means. So if somebody demands from you or asks you for your shirt, hand over your coat. Now a lot of people have a lot of problems with this verse. What's the purpose of this? What's Jesus trying to tell us? Here, here's what Jesus is trying to do. There's a specific reason. Jesus is saying this. When people take advantage of us, we tend to tighten up. Truth? Truth. When somebody takes advantage of our generosity and they do something wrong with it, we tighten our fist around our money, right? Some of you grew up 
hearing your parents say, or maybe you've even said it yourself, you know, you, you go down the highway and you, you get off on that intersection and you see that guy on the side of the road with the sign, help me, I need money. And what did you hear said or what do you say yourself? Well, I'm not going to give him money. He's just going to go buy alcohol with it. He's just going to go buy drugs with it. And you justify not helping that person in need because you've been burned before or you've seen that or witnessed that before or you were just told that and you took it for word that when somebody in need needs something, they're just going to take advantage of you. And so you use that as a reason to not be generous at all. Some of you use it with the church. Some of you, again, have had a bad experience growing up in the church and you gave to the church and you tithed to the church and you were generous to the church and then the youth pastor and the children's pastor ran off to Barbados together. And you're like, that's it. I'm never, ever, ever going to go, you know, I'm never going to give to the church. I'm never going to tithe. I'm never going to do any of that because the church, they're just going to take advantage. Everybody knows Pastor Mike's driving a Jaguar out there. You know, there's just no, no way. I'm giving to that. Because that's what happens. When you get burned from being generous, you tend to tighten up. But here's the thing. What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, don't do that. You need to be generous. Why? To protect your soul from being poisoned against humanity in need. Jesus is saying, when somebody wants to take your shirt, take your $5, go ahead and give them your $20. Go ahead and give them your coat too. But Jesus, what if that? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. You let me worry about that. I'm the judge, not you. I need you to give. And I don't need you to just give your, your, your shirt. I need you to give your, them your coat too. Because that is the only way to protect your heart from being poisoned against humanity. Because here's the thing. If your heart becomes poisoned against humanity, one day there's really going to be a need and it's going to be legitimate. And it's going to be a great need. And I'm going to need you to give to it. And I'm not going to need you to give it with like, oh, I don't want to give this up. I need you to give it with a glad heart. I need you to give it with open hands. And I need you to not just go, oh, you want my shirt? Well, here, take my coat too. So here's one thing. When you come into those people, when you come to that, I don't want you to worry about what they're going to do with it. You worry about that. I'll worry about that. I'll be the judge. You just give. Because when you regularly practice giving, not just your shirt, but your coat, you will see your heart transform into a generous heart. And you will be a generous person. And generous people can transform the world and make things happen. So I need you to not just give your shirt. I need you to give your coat to. I need you to give everything to him because I want you to do that because I want you to protect your soul. So that's how far you go. That's how much of a loser I need you to be, even when it comes to your generosity. And then he, then he says this. He goes on, he goes, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now this actually had a historical context. See, the Persian, Persian messengers at that time, they had royal authority to order horses, ships, and men to assist them in government business. So a, Pers a Persian messenger could come by at any time, a Persian soldier, Persian employee of the government, could come by and go, I need to ride your horse and I need you to go with me a mile. That was their limit. They could go up to a mile. There were limitations of what they could ask. But they could, they could take your ship. They could take your car. They could take your horse. They could make you walk their horse. They could say, I need a piggyback ride for goodness sakes. And you'd have to give them a piggyback ride. Up to a mile is what they could request. And you are required by law to take them that far. So historical context, guess what? People didn't really like the Persian government. 
really wasn't cool. Not a very justified thing to have happen, right? Kind of seems wrong. And so all these, you know, all these Jews would be going about their, their day and doing their thing and running through their list and working. And a guy could just walk up, a Persian messenger could just walk up and go, you got to go with me. And you would have to, or you would be arrested and you would be put in jail. You would even possibly be put to death. It had to happen. So Jesus says to them, hey, you know those Persian messengers that make you guys walk a mile and take your horse and take your ship and you know do all this stuff? They're like, yeah, are we going to get them, Jesus? Are we going to stand up? Are we going to riot? Are we going to march? What are we going to do? Well, if they make you go a mile, go ahead and offer to go two. Jesus, hippie Jesus, what are you talking about, Jesus? I thought like Jewish life matters, man. Or like, what are we doing, man? Like, I thought like we were going to like rise up. What are you talking about? Don't just go the limit of a mile. Go two. What are you, what are you talking about? I, this is all going to make sense in a minute, but I, I had, I had something big happen to me in my life. And some of you who know me as your friend, you know how big a deal it is. I came to the point this week where I decided to break up with Starbucks. Oh, man. <laughs> 2020 sucks so bad. I did. I made the decision to break up with Starbucks. And here's what happened, okay? So Tuesday is my day off. And I love Starbucks, if you don't know that. Um, Tuesday is my day off. And I spend my day off coaching CrossFit, okay? I know it's weird. Anyway, I get up at 6 a.m. and I go to Winsville and I coach CrossFit at CrossFit 70. And so every day, my routine is on Tuesday... I do a mobile order to the Winsville Starbucks, and I get a large, 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 large coffee that's black, and I get a spinach feta egg white wrap. That's my breakfast. Every, every Tuesday, this is what I do. And so what's happened twice, in the middle of this COVID pandemic, Starbucks is like uh, bipolar. I don't know what their problem is. Some days they're open. Some days they're closed. Sometimes it's 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. Sometimes it's just 2 to 6. I don't know what is going on. So all the day, all the time, I'm surprised. And here's what's, here's how sick this is. People message me and they're like, do you know what is happening at Starbucks? Do you know what's wrong? Have they told you what's going on? I'm like, I got no idea. Like, I'm an advocate for all the Starbucks junkies. You know what I mean? And so twice what has happened is, is I've gotten in my car, and when I get to Flint Hill, I know I can push the button, and my order will get there. I go in, put my mask on, I grab my coffee, and I go to, go to work. And so twice what has happened is, is they have actually been closed, and my order has gone to the store at Highway Inn. And I didn't even know. Like, I made my order, I paid for it, I hit the button, and then I look down at my phone and they're like, great, your order is going to be ready in, in 10 minutes at Highway Inn. Well, I don't have time to drive the Highway Inn, so I just let it go. And I'm like, this has happened twice. So it happened on Tuesday again. I spent my $7 on my coffee and my breakfast wrap. And it's like, eh, they're closed. Sorry, they had something else happen. And it's going to Highway Inn. I'm like, I can't do this. And then I had to go to Panera Bread and buy their dirty water, you know, with a little bit of hazelnut sprinkled into it. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. So I had to go to Panera and get breakfast on Tuesday. And so I said, that's it. I'm done. I've wasted like $14. And so Olivia's Jiu-Jitsu is over there by the Highway Inn store. And so I went in there, and I, I, I was going to break up with Starbucks. Like, I'm a man. I'm not going to break up via text, okay? I'm not going to break up on social media. So I'm going to be a man. I'm going to go face-to-face -face with Starbucks. And I'm going to tell them, we're breaking up. It's not, it's not me. It's you. And I'm cheating on you with a girl named Panera now. And that's just, I'm going with Panera. She's my new wife, okay? That's what I was ready to do. Break it down for him. So I went in there and I said, hey, man, I don't know what's going on, but I've made two mobile orders and this is what happened. 
And I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going with Panera, and I hate it. I don't want to. It's going to make me sick. I can't go to the bathroom with Panera. The only coffee that makes me go to the bathroom is Starbucks. And so this is, now I got all kinds of all issues and stuff. I'm sorry. I told you guys I'd keep it PG. Anyway, uh, but I can't do this. And I was ready. I was, I was done. And they looked at me, and I was ready. You know, I thought they were going to fight me. I thought, we're going to get in a debate here. Here we go. You know what I mean? We're going to cancel each other out. We're never going to talk again. And they looked at me, and they said, we, we are so sorry. They said, I know this pandemic has been weird, and our stores, they have different policies, and they're open and they're closed. I'm so sorry that was your experience. That's awful. Oh, my God. And they said, you know what? Tell us everything you've ordered over these two things, and we'll remake them for you right now. We'll remake all of it for you. And I was like, okay. So I showed him my, <laughs> I showed him my aura. I was like, this is, this is what it was. I'm like, oh, we'll get all that ready for you. And I had Olivia with me. And she goes, does she want anything? Does she want anything? I was like, oh, Olivia, you, you want anything? Yeah, I want a peanut butter bar and I want this. And I said, how much, how much is that going to be, Starbucks? And she said, it's free because we love you. I said, Okay. And then, they, and then, and then they go. You know what? You've had such a bad experience. Can we give you a gift card with with money on it so you can buy other things? Would you like a ten dollar gift card? Yeah, I would. <laughs> that that'd make me feel pretty special if you did that. So, <laughs> so I had two venti coffees, two spinach feta egg wraps, a peanut butter bar, a frappuccino, a $10 Starbucks card. It was like Christmas. And they're like, and then they gave it to me. And I swear that was enough. Like we, we are married again. Like I'm never cheating on you. And then here's what they did. They go, Hey, you know, we don't, we don't let anybody sit in the store because of the whole mask thing. Do do you want to sit down and enjoy your coffee over there? Like you used to. Starbucks, calm down. Woo! And so I did. I sat down. I sat down. I, I went over there and I sat down at the table and I had my two coffees. I was double fisting two 40 ounces of coffee. And I was like, well, you know, I was sitting there and somebody walked in and saw me sitting down and they said, oh, can we sit? And they go, no, no, no. He's special. And I was like, stop it, Starbucks. You're making me blush, you know? But it was the greatest day ever. It was so awesome. So Starbucks and I, we're legit. We are on, we are on the same page, right? But here's the thing, okay? So let me bring this back to Jesus. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing, all right? Here's the thing. G- we have today in our culture, Christians have a bad name. We've burned some people. The church has provided a poor experience and been a poor representation of Jesus. You know what I hear most often as a pastor? People don't dislike Jesus. This culture, are you kidding me? This lovey-dovey, forgiving culture, it is primed for Jesus. People love Jesus. The problem they have is with the institution of the church. The problem is, is the people inside the steeple and then the Christians. And here's the thing, man. Starbucks, here's how they won me back. They won me back with a great experience, great care of their customer. They're forgiving. They were peacemakers. They were merciful. They just took me back in and they just, they just apologized, apologized, apologized. And here's the thing. I, it's my, it's my fault really when I push that stupid button. I, I should check which store my order is going to. It, they didn't have really, it was on me, but they chose to take that stance. Here's the thing. As Christians, 
If we are ever going to win people over to the kingdom of God, when people ask us go to a, for a mile, we got to be willing to go too. How many churches and how many times have we said, well, what's the bare minimum? What do we need to do? Can't we just open the doors and open the steeple and here come all the people? Isn't it if just we build it, they will come? Not even close. In order to reach people and turn them away from their poor experience, from the things that have happened to them in the past, we can't just be willing to go a mile. We've got to go too. And here's the thing, Christians, we should be known for this. We should be known as Christians that, man, when you ask a Christian to go a mile, even though it's unfair, even though they shouldn't have to, if you ask a Christian to go a mile, man, they don't just go a mile, they go two. They go above and beyond. They are the most peaceful people, the most merciful people, the most forgiving people, the most apologizing people, just the most graceful people you will ever meet. And it should be in that arena everywhere. Amen? And here's the thing. I'm going to step into it. Say, Mike, don't step into it. I'm going to step into it, all right? Get your emails ready. Here's the thing. Let's talk about masks for a minute. <gasps> oh, I told you there's going to be an email coming, all right? Here's the thing. I don't care your opinion about masks. I don't care what side you are on about masks. And I don't know what side Jesus would be on if he were here and if he would be on the no mask side or the mask side. It doesn't matter. But here's what I know about Jesus. There are places right now where it is mandatory. It's a must to wear a mask, right? They ask you, please, sir, wear a mask. Will you do this? Please put on a mask. And here's what I know about Jesus. I don't know what side he would be on, but I know if Jesus were asked to wear a mask for an hour, he'd say, I'll wear it for two. He would do that. Because you know why? Because Jesus would look at you and go, does it help you keep your business open? Well, then I'd love to. Uh, does it help you feel more safe and more comfortable? Well, then I would love to. Oh, what's my opinion on it? It doesn't matter. If it better serves you, I would be happy to wear a mask. Because I'm not here to win an argument. I'm not here to win a side. I'm here to be a servant. I'm here to be a loser. I'm here to be a nobody. So if you've asked me to wear a mask, I'll gladly wear a mask. Amen? That's what Jesus would do. Doesn't matter what side he would be on because, again, Jesus didn't take sides. But if it made you comfortable, if it helped keep your opinion of him as graceful and merciful and peaceful, he would do it. If you asked him to go a mile, he would go too. And as Christians, we shouldn't be potsters, we should be peacemakers. As Christians, we shouldn't start trouble, we should end trouble. That's who we should be. Period. Write me your emails. Send it to I don't care at anchoredhope.church. All right? Anyway. That's what he would say to do. And that's just the way it is. That's just the gospel, people. That's what Jesus would be, and that's what he's telling them to do. Christians should be the peaceful people. Christians don't just go a mile and do what is required of us, but we offer to go the extra mile as well. Then he goes on. He says, this is all leading to this. This is what it's all leading to, and this is what he says. He says to him, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? You know what he's saying? If you only love the people who are on your side, if you only love the people who agree with you, then who are you really? 
Because that's not the brand of love that Christians have. Christians love everyone. Christians are peacemakers with everybody. Christians are merciful with everybody. Christians have are meek. Gentleness is their strength. They are not pot stirrers. Who are you? Are you not even the, the tax collectors? They're doing that. They're loving the people who agree with them. They're loving the people who are on their side. No. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do you not, do not know that even pagans do that? And he goes on and he goes, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And he's not talking about perfect in morality. He's not talking about perfect in performance. He's talking about perfect in choosing to love everybody. Instead of defending your side, taking up your side, pledging your side, choosing to love everybody, because that is what makes Christianity unique. That is what makes Christianity different than any other institution or any other organization, is the choice to be a loser and to go not just a mile, but two when asked. The choice to not just give you my shirt, but my coat as well. The decision and the choice that when somebody slaps me, I just patiently wait for them to slap the other side and I don't give up on people. And I don't cancel people out. That is what it means to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Practically. And what better world do we live in than today to practice this? What more opportunities could we ever ask for People are like, what's the church supposed to do within this pandemic? Are you kidding me? You have more opportunities to be Jesus than ever before. You have more opportunities right now to do ministry than ever before. Literally every single day something happens now. And you have all of these opportunities to show that you just don't love your neighbor, but you even love your enemy. And that is what it looks like to be like Jesus. So for you right now, as you look at your own life, I know you got your side and you got your opinions and I respect your opinions and I, I respect your side. Then I'm not trying to step on anybody. And that's a great thing about our church. We can all have different opinions as long as we agree on one thing, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and that he came to die for our sins. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And now it is our job to let the Spirit transform us into his image. As long as we agree on that, we can disagree about everything else and still worship together and still do ministry together and still care for one another. That's what it looks like to be the body of Christ. And that's who we need to be in the world, choosing to be losers. And that is how we end up being the salt of the earth, the light in a dark place. So let me ask you something. What do you want to do? Do you want to win or do you want to lose? Do you want to be a, a winner or do you want to be a loser? Somebody who chooses to go that extra mile, chooses to be generous, and chooses to take even persecution. It won't be the most glamorous thing and it will be the most frustrating thing to be a loser. But let me tell you something, as Jesus said, but great is your reward in heaven. See, living this life, you'll never see the harvest here on this earth. But one day you will. And one day there will be rejoicing. Because in this short, short time of your life, compared to eternity, you lived like Jesus. Let me pray for you this morning. God.
this morning. I thank you so much for the opportunity to to speak about this. God, man, what a hard topic. What a hard thing to live out. And to be a loser. That means I I got to it means I'm going to lose fights, I'm going to lose debates, I'm going to lose arguments, my side I can't. I won't always be able to defend it my way, my opinion. Sometimes I'm going to have to swallow it. Sometimes I'm going to have to apologize. Sometimes I'm just going to have to take my ego and my pride and just put it aside. Man, what a hard way to live. But God, it's the way your son Jesus Christ lived. And God, I believe that through living like this, Through living like this, we can be more like your son, Jesus Christ. So will you do that in us, and will you transform us from the inside out? God, we love you, and we thank you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.